Hey, good morning, Life Church. Thanks so much for joining in with us. We're grateful for the opportunity to be able to gather together as we can. You know, I just want to challenge all of us as certain conversations are being had, uh, our public discourse of when to open, when to remove restrictions. The reality is we're all getting tired of this, aren't we? I mean, there's a lot of wear and tear on our souls, and we want to get back to normal or what normal is going to look like. Might I also say it's easy to agree with people that we voted for, <laughs> uh, but certain people and in positions, and, and they are, we believe, hopefully we all believe, or maybe we can lean into the belief that they're doing what they can to the best of their ability. We love you. We miss you. Let's continue to lean into this time as healthy as we can uh, and just make decisions for the greater whole. Serve one another. Be present for one another. And uh, just continue to pray and help move this thing forward. You know, I mentioned this before, but I want to say again, we've chosen to not focus on this pandemic and quarantine circumstance as subject matter for our preaching, teaching, and conversations. Certainly, such will be woven into our discourse, but we want to maintain a concerted effort and focus, not on the problems, ills, and storm clouds as they're surrounding us, but rather on the person of Jesus as he calls us to himself. Makes me think of the interaction that Jesus had with Peter and the disciples in Matthew 14 as they are encouraged and invited by Jesus to get into a boat. They're caught into a storm and they're fearful for their lives. Jesus walks out to meet them and it's Peter who gets up and says, hey, if this is you, call me out on the water. Call me to safety. And Jesus, of course, calls uh, Peter out onto the water. And Peter's walking on the water until he takes his focus off of Jesus and he begins to look at the winds and the waves. I don't believe that this is a teaching to encourage us to ignorance, but we don't want to focus on the winds and waves. We want to keep our eyes trained on our Savior, on the lever of our souls. So we hope this perspective is encouraging you. We hope that it's applicable to your lives and your present circumstance as we believe it is honoring of God. You know, before we get to the message, just want to encourage everybody, get registered for groups. Groups have started this week. Real life specific groups have been going on for a couple of weeks, um, but it's not too late. Please jump in. Even in our current circumstances, we are separated. We can be together. All the groups are virtually driven, um, but this is what God has afforded us in this season to find growth and community. If you did register for a group and you haven't heard from anybody, we are so very sorry. It's technology at its best, or rather me, and not understanding things at its worst. We've gotten it all figured out. Everything's in working order. So please uh, go to our website, get registered to a group. We'd love to do growth and community with you in this season. All right. Get some uh, articles together for communion. We're going to celebrate at the close of the message. Uh, but turn with your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 20. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. 
Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this that we have together, this moment to be able to be with one another and open up your scriptures. We ask that you would mold us and shape us, make us more into your image by the scriptures, by the word of God. And Lord, we do pray for our world. We pray for our community. We pray for our leaders, those who are helping us in the front lines, supply chain, doctors, nurses, all of them alike. We ask for you to protect them. We ask for healing from this virus. Um, And God, we just ask for you to help us. We always don't know what to say. We don't always know what to pray. But we are are trying real hard, Father, trying real hard to look to you and allow your voice to be louder than all the other voices we hear. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, and amen. You know, we're starting a new series today, The Ferocious Fight for Satisfaction. The Ferocious Fight for Satisfaction. And we're going to be using uh, the Apostles Apostle Paul's well-worn words to the church of Philippi. But before uh, we dive into those deep waters, I want to reiterate how important it is when we read Paul's words that we breathe them in through the filter of Jesus, not the other way around. Perhaps it's due to the layout of scriptures, gospels, and epistles. Uh, Maybe we're just culturally weighed down by thoughts of certain traditions that exalt the writings of Paul, which (laughs) I grant you are incredible. Perhaps it's Uh, The clear and concise speaking to certain things as Paul does because he's speaking to local churches. This one, as we're reading, is uh, a church in Philippi. He speaks to the church at Ephesus, the city of Thessalonica. But people often, unwittingly, for whatever reason, read Paul as if he gives higher, more nuanced, applicable truth than the Gospels, which are shrouded in stories and parables. To borrow the words of pastor and author Gregory Boyd, Jesus is what looks what God looks like when no clouds get in the way. Life lived, word spoken, ministry engaged. I love that. Quote, Jesus is what God looks like when no clouds get in the way. End quote. Jesus is not to be read and understood through the wisdom of Paul. Paul's incredible perspective, his teachings and his wisdom should always be filtered through the life, words, and ministry of Jesus. In addition, we have to remind ourselves that Jesus is speaking to us in the Gospels using the rabbinical tradition. This is why he uses story. This is why he uses narrative and parables. Because it's the art and the science of storytelling that is the only thing that can allow for the richness and depth of God's truth and reality to come through. You know, if you're anything like me... uh, You get swallowed up by words sometimes, especially in translations of ancient texts created from within other cultures. We we miss some meaning. I mean, even sitting at our dinner table with my boys who were raised in the same culture, the same country as I am, and we're all sitting at the table that my wife and I bought, the food that we paid for, the... uh, And yet, I feel like I'm in a completely different 
space because I miss some of the things that Ace and Jude are trying to say. I know the words that they're using are English, but how they're using it completely evades me. I loved our last series, 71 Words, as we work through each and every morsel on its own and from the whole. I would love to do that here, but there are 189 words, and that doesn't quite have the same ring to it. In addition, while all these words can be and are productive for each of us, this passage really turns on three words, really turns on three concepts in the first verse that we read. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That's Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11. Those three words are need, learning, and content. If we're honest, just on the face, those three words could take a lot of time and be worth our while to talk about, couldn't they? But God always has more for us than meets the eye. That's why when we give space for the scriptures to read us and allow for the Spirit to speak to us, there's just so much to unpack. And so in the next few weeks, we're going to do our best to unpack this passage, framed by these three loaded words and concepts as they lead us to a way of living in the midst of life. Because our Creator craves for His creation, us, to be content. Now, what I want to do this morning is just give us some context for the coming weeks. And it starts with having a deeper understanding of these three words from their authored context. So we don't miss the greater meanings. The first word is need. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, Paul writes. This is translated from the Greek hysteresis, which has the same root for our English word hysterical. You know, that thing we all do when we get hysterical. The activity of of losing our minds, running around, driven by some want, right? I mean, hysteria is not for nothing. You don't just start to overreact or dramatize something because no reason. There's always something underlying. On the shallow end of the pool, this word simply means to want. It doesn't even differentiate between wants or needs. It speaks to a space. A, a hole, like there's a void there. Man, I remember each of our kids coming home from the hospital as babies, and they would cry because there was a space, there was a hole, there was a void, there was a want and a need there. And in the beginning, it's cute and nice, but then you get tired, don't you? <laughs> you just, you need a little bit of um, calm in your life as young parents. And and babies don't know how to tell you what that space is. Sometimes they're hungry. Sometimes they're tired. Sometimes they have a dirty diaper. Sometimes they just need attention. And one of the most difficult jobs of parents and moms in particular is figuring out what is it that that space is asking for. As a reminder, we're not just talking about want and need as described in Webster's Dictionary. Most ancient languages communicated in more descriptive, illustrative ways. Think poetry and song rather than Word documents and Excel spreadsheets. But that's that's where we live in our day and age, isn't it? Statistics, put it together, black and white. Think metaphors, rich with meaning, deep in possibilities, not short, stubby sentences with curt, exact answers. These are word pictures, rife with nuance, flexibility, texture, and context, more than just tangible thing. With all of that in mind, hysteresis paints a picture for us. 
Paul is speaking to something very nuanced. It's a picture of poverty, not just not enough for a need. Hysteresis is how one is exposed, left vulnerable. Imagine being stuck outside in the rain. Have you ever been rushing to your car when the downpour hits only to realize the door is locked as you reach for the key and notice it's sitting right there in the ignition. (laughs) Of course, that doesn't happen these days because we have protections, but that used to happen to me when I was younger. Hysteresis is that reality, stuck, open to the elements. But it isn't descriptive of an external scene, like something that is out there happening to us. It is telling about a space inside of us. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, is describing this space inside of us. Newsflash, we all have wants. We all have that space that beckons to be given to. And want isn't going anywhere. It isn't bad, it's not wrong, it's not evil. In fact, want is hardwired into our humanity. In Psalm 42, the psalmist writes, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Later, it's another, it's the verse that we're all very familiar with. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil? within me. We all have space inside of us. We all have this thing that aches and hungers. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 describes it as such. He has made God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He, God, has put eternity into man's heart. We, we aren't a limited capacity creature. There is space inside of us. And listen to me, it's supposed to be there. God has placed it there on purpose. Now, what we do with, or rather what we allow hysteresis, that space, that need to do to us, has infinite consequences. Here's the thing. Even though we all have such space inside of us, we relate to it differently. And our manual God understands that so wonderfully. I love that we all have that space, and yet, it is completely different in how it manifests. Additionally, this space inside of us is affected by the world around us. What our environment gives us can also change shape of what is inside of us. Think of the weather, how you feel, how you desire on a sunny day or a rainy day. Life seasons... (laughs) When you're single and you don't have a whole lot of responsibilities other than yourself, what you have aches for, desires for. When you get married and don't have children and you have two incomes and not as much expenditures, what you hunger, what you ache, what you want changes. When you get into family dynamics and you're married for five years, 10 years, it's the same wife, the same marriage, but there are different aches. There are different hungers. Think even how things have shifted and changed in these last four or five weeks in our quarantined environment. That ache and that hunger changes shape. Our third word, our proposed landing pad, content, in in the original language, is a compound word, autoarchesis. It's made from two words. The first is autos, which is self. 
where we get the word auto, automatic. The second word is archaeo. It means barrier or of unfailing strength, a barrier that is strong. The word picture, when you put those two things together, the word picture created is warding off, defending, taken together, the meaning, the implication is satisfaction. Now, we have a few weeks to unpack this passage, but just consider this and sit in it for a moment. Scriptural satisfaction, this contentment that Paul is asking us to land upon, to be satisfied as God says is possible, is not measured in fullness or having or being complete. It is in the defending oneself by warding off. This hysteresis which tempts us, begs us to feed it and follow it, is not going anywhere anytime soon. It just isn't. It, it, it's part of our hardware that God has placed, even as the psalmist describes it, that my soul pants, there's an ache, there's a hunger. There has been a depth put in each one of us, even to the, the descriptor of eternity in our hearts. I agree. It would be glorious for those things to just go away, but they won't. That void, that cry, that ache is part and parcel of who you are. It will shift. It will change shape, perhaps. The form might differ, but it isn't going to disappear because the problem isn't out there away from us and the problem isn't even a problem. The issue is in here inside of us and contentment, satisfaction lies in the ferocious fight we alone can wage. Again, according to the scriptures, not in gathering stuff, but rather in protecting self. You want Welcome to the club. You have things and dynamics you really desire, ache for, that that come back for more again and again, yeah? I, I know I certainly do. Here's the thing too. Your list of things called out for is very different than mine, but they are no less enticing, I'm sure. And if you're like me, you have some seemingly insatiable desires, some wants and needs that gnaw. They just don't go away. Frequent shoppers of your soul is what I like to refer to them as. They're coming back time and time again. And you've done well to not give in to them. But if you're honest, you might feel like you're just biding time until you give up and give yourself over to whatever that is again or the next time or whatever. And perhaps it isn't a bad thing even. But you know that thing can take you a bad way. Here's good news for you. And it's this second word that I believe gives news to all of us. And it's, it's a Jesus word. Learned. God says we can learn a new way and not just to learn by information's sake. And we live in the information age, but this word learn is the original language, Montana, which means to learn by doing learning by hands-on. That one second word bridges our starting point to our point of salvation, making whole, being saved, getting delivered, which isn't just in an instant, but carries over because God has more health. God has more growth. God has more everything for us. 
it's amazing as Jesus comes in contact with his disciples, whether they're fishing or tax collecting, they immediately, the gospels say, leave their nets. They immediately leave their tax booth where they were doing their tax collecting. You can't grab on to contentment. You can't wage this ferocious fight for satisfaction when you're trying to grab hold of the old. The disciples immediately left their nets. The tax collector immediately left the tax collecting booth. Zacchaeus immediately climbed down the tree. You can't grab hold of the new when you're hanging on to the old. There's a story or an interaction that Jesus has in Mark chapter 10. Jesus is coming out of the city of Jericho and blind Bartimaeus, a man known by his need, known by some space that has an ache within him. And there's a great crowd around Jesus, but this blind Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out to Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. I love that. I love the fact that blind Bartimaeus does not choose to be silent. I am so challenged by the fact that he doesn't just cry out even again. He cries out all the more, the Bible says. He gets louder. He gets more emphatic. And it's then that Jesus stopped. How often do we cry out once? How many times have you tried that thing and then never tried again? Verse 49, he stopped and he called him. And they called the blind man saying, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And the blind man does this in verse 50. He throws off his cloak. This is not just an outer garment. This is not just a piece of clothing. This marked that he was a beggar. This marked that he was known only by his need because his need was the loudest voice in his room. By throwing off his cloak, he is making a declaration. He will no longer be lashed to and fastened by his ache, by his space within him. He sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Verse 51. I mean, come on. Is that not the dumbest question? I'm sorry, church, but is that not one of the dumber questions that you've ever heard asked? Here, Bartimaeus is begging. He's obviously blind. Everybody knows him to be who he is and as he is. And he comes to Jesus and Jesus asks him, what do you want? Could it be that Jesus asks Bartimaeus, what do you want? Not because Jesus doesn't know, but it's important for Bartimaeus himself to know, for him to be able to verbalize, for him to be able to name what is that need? What is that space that has rulership and ownership of your soul? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. It's just incredible what takes place when Bartimaeus names that which is his need. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. 
I'd love to celebrate communion within this context, within this, within this shadow of that story that Jesus finds us in our need and we have the opportunity to fight and find contentment, to find satisfaction in our moment. But not because we are overcomers, but because Jesus invites us into it. Jesus is the one whose body was broken, whose blood was spilled, who engaged the tearing of the veil so that we could come into the presence of God, be engaged by His Spirit, and yes, grab hold of the new that God has for us. Father, we thank You so much for the opportunity that is given to us in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. We thank You for that which is uh, opportunistic right now, not just because of who we are, but what you have done. Father, we do not take ownership of being able to overcome. We don't try and fight through these things that gnaw at our souls. We come to you saying, help us. And even as the scriptures declare that we would be mindful of who you are and what you've done, Father, we put you in that place of our lives right now. Everything that is afforded to us, by the accomplishment of the cross. We thank you for that. We are mindful of you and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Here's the thing, church. Satisfaction will never walk up to your front door. Contentment is not going to just be dropped on you. There's a ferocious fight that we have to take on by the grace of God, if we want to grab hold of this satisfaction. We all have a need. This is where we begin. We all have that space inside of us. But there is contentment. There is satisfaction for us. There's a learning that we can enter into. And hopefully over these next few weeks, we are going to, by hands-on following of Jesus going to be able to move from just this place and be known by our need and our ache, but rather to enter into who God has for us to be. Let me leave you all with a benediction this morning. Just as a reminder, please go get registered for a group or two or three. We would really love the opportunity to have growth and be in community with you even in this season. We love you so much. We miss you. And we're looking forward to the days ahead where we can uh, gather together again. Just enjoying the presence of God, the manifest presence of God and fellowship with all of you. Now, may we stop following hungers and wants and desires or waiting for them to go away. May we follow God into fulfillment. May we not look at satisfaction as we've seen it before, but build that which will defend who we are at our core. May we learn. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better. Hey, we love you so much. I know I've said it before, but I'll say it again because we mean it. We miss you and we can't wait to gather again together with one another. Be safe. We love you so much.